You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from House for All Sinners and Saints. We are an Evangelical Lutheran Church in America congregation in Denver, Colorado, and you can find out more about us at www.houseforall.org. Grace, peace, and mercy are yours from the triune God. Anyone who has spoken to me since Monday night for longer than three minutes knows what I'm about to describe. At 7 p.m. last Monday, I stripped naked in private, put in two pink wax earplugs, and voluntarily got into a giant pitch black tub full of extremely salty water. The pleasant voice of a young, probably attractive British woman welcomed me to my sensory deprivation experience. (laughs) And I did a float. Now listen, I can't tell you what happened for the 90 minutes I was in there. You know, that kind of information is really only for the initiated. And we'd probably have to look at your Thetan brainwaves audit before we initiated you. But the point is, the float changed me. Or at least I really wanted it to change me. (laughs) I wanted the salty water to leach out all the bad energies I'd been carrying around all week. I wanted to get out of that tub and look down and see all my little heartbreaks, all those daily disappointments, all the tiny embarrassments and tried too hards floating in the water, about to be flushed away. I wanted to step out pure from my ritual bath, to be clean like I was when, like I was when. Well, that's the problem, isn't it? When was I pure? I mean, clean as snow pure. A septic, symmetrical, unerring, pure. And why was that my ideal to return to? What was I doing Monday night? I mean, really doing. What parts of myself was I trying to shear away so I could fit into who I thought I was supposed to be? Why was I offering up these parts of myself to wash down a drain? When I first reviewed the scripture for this Sunday, I read it quickly, thinking I knew it already. In the weeks between then and now, I spent a lot of time thinking, what can I say? What can I say about the narrow gate? I mean, how insulting can Jesus be calling these poor disciples dummies and then telling them this gate isn't for everyone? What is the good news about a gate that we might not fit through even if we somehow manage to find it. And really, that's the fear that drives me into these New Age bathtubs. (laughs) How do I get through the gate? Please, God, tell me the password. Show me the handle. Give me the right diet to squeeze myself through. I've been dunking in metaphorical tubs and chasing this gate for a lot longer than last Monday night, though. Six years ago, 
I opened my girlfriend's desk drawer while she was away for the weekend and discovered it stuffed full of love letters from another woman. Ladies and gentlefolks, nothing will break your heart faster than discovering that the object of your devotion is not worth your devotion. And in a weird and terrible way, I suddenly felt I wasn't worth my own devotion either. If she didn't love me, I was probably unlovable. So I did what any normal human being would do. I lit those letters on fire in the middle of her living room. <clears throat> and fled out of cell phone range into the mountains. Some might call this avoiding the consequences of one's actions. But I prefer to just call it practical. Once there, I climbed for two hours up a steep remote trail, like I had something to prove, like I had some part of myself to wash off or walk out of. I twisted an ankle and kept walking, determined, angry, and desperate, desperate to shed the shame of unlovability. I walked like I was going somewhere, some different pasture where some other wooden woman hadn't come to steal and destroy what I thought was mine. I walked myself right up to the top of that mountain and straight off the trail onto a rocky slope without even noticing. I did notice when the slope got too steep though, when one side dropped off sharply, when the rocks started sliding under my feet too quickly, I got down on my hands and knees, crying harder than ever, almost paralyzed with fear, and crawled my way back to safety. I reached a small meadow full of wildflowers, emptied the rest of my tears into the earth, and promptly fell asleep, face down in the moss. You see, I didn't know it then, but finding those letters scared me. I didn't have today's scripture, but I was afraid that the gate into heaven, whatever I imagined that to be, wasn't for me. I was scared that I wouldn't fit, and I still am. That maybe my grief, or definitely my pride, probably my pyromaniac tendencies, <laughs> or my habit of fleeing my own consequences makes me too bloated, too big, or worse yet, too small for the gate. I'm scared that my spirit is stunted, that I'll get to the gate and realize you must be this tall to ride the ride. I'm scared I'll find the wrong gate and think it's the right one, or I'm scared I'll find the field, the gate, the shepherd, and that the gate will be really narrow, like somebody somewhere surely told me it was, and even my salt tub soaking Hands and knees crawling, bereft of love, self-shaming me, won't be able to fit through something so narrow. It'll all be the wrong size. Everyone will get through but me, and I'll be left outside alone. An extrovert's worst nightmare. If I'm really honest, I get scared I'll be running after this gate my whole life and never catch it. And when that fear gets to my core and starts to scrape me out from the inside, 
I think back to what happened when I woke up in that meadow six years ago. Before crawling off the rocky slope, I had been thrashing and flailing, made blind by my own tears, running from one thing and running after another until, until God was forced to take desperate measures and knock me over the head with what is commonly known as a spiritual two-by-four. You yourself may be familiar with this rigorous yet effective methodology. God knocked me to my knees, forced me to crawl into a beautiful meadow full of wildflowers and put me right to sleep like Dorothy in the poppies so I could wake up and see something new. While I had slept still and quiet and without all the thrashing and grasping and forcing, the meadow had filled with dozens of slow, fuzzy bumblebees. These little alpine denizens greeted me as I opened my eyes. They were hilarious. Oxygen-deprived, fat with pollen, they crash-landed on every flower they stopped at and helplessly wiggled their little legs in the air until they could grab a flower and flip themselves over. Did these bees change the fact that my heart was broken? No, of course not. But they filled my vision with their gentle lives and said softly to me, fall to your knees, lay on the earth, wiggle your legs in the air a little bit. Jesus said, I am the gate. And when I finally read this passage carefully, I realized I myself had imagined its own narrowness. Jesus said nothing about the gate's narrowness or width. Just, I am the gate that brings life. I am that through which you must pass. And more than that, I discovered in the meadow that Jesus is a gate that moves, that comes to us. Jesus, the crucified one who has known his own heartbreaks, his own daily disappointments, his own tiny embarrassments and tried too hards, his own lover's betrayals who let it all transform him completely, comes to us and helps us to do the same. Jesus, the ultimate scapegoat, the scapegoat who came back from the desert and death, full of love and forgiveness for those like me who were only desperate to cast out their shame on his back. Jesus, who asked not for a transaction at the gate, trade this part of yourself to fit this salvation, but the Jesus of transformation who says, bring it all in, it will fit, and I will help you. I would never reach the gate he spoke of through an exorcism of shame, through baiting my own scapegoat of unlovability out into the rocky desert. There was no destiny on that journey other than a spiritual clothesline headed my way that would lay me flat so the gate could come to me. When we meet Jesus, the gate, not because we have punished our badness out of ourselves, but because we have realized the uselessness of doing so. The gate is exactly our size and a perfect fit for us. It always will be. In this way, I realized that although the gate was never described as narrow, it's still probably short 
about six to eight inches high, and only by lying flat on your back in a meadow, defeated under some bumblebees, will the gate come to pass over you while you're immobile and unable to do even one more thing for yourself. It will ask nothing of you, and then it will transform you. It will appear wherever you have fallen and relieve you of yourself, your very own spiritual two-by-four that will knock you to your knees only so that you don't have so far to go to lay in the grass. When we enter the gate in this way, when we enter into the truly abundant life of Jesus, we find that that life has already entered us. We find that God, the great cosmic Trojan horse, has used the very thing we thought would destroy us to transform us. Whoever we are at that moment becomes the always resurrecting kingdom of heaven, and from there, we are truly saved. Amen. Amen.